Turn, if you would, to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. When I was growing up... um, It didn't take me long, really, to get into um, just a lifestyle of rebellion against God. And I used to mock Christianity. And I used to think, like, that's not real. Like, that's just, that's not for me. Like, that's not what I'm in touch with. And as I grew up, I grew more hardened to the things of God and would be like, the worst kind of person to a Christian. I mean, I would be needling them. I'd be arguing with them. I'd be throwing things in their face. But deep down, I wanted something real. Deep down, I wanted, I wanted to experience something real in my heart. And I was so desperate for something because I, I knew something was wrong. And the drug scene was not filling it. The alcohol party scene was not filling it. Everywhere I went... It was like an emptiness. And the things that I was looking to, to be real, right, always failed me. Relationships. Whatever the world wanted to hold out and say, this is it. If you have this, right, you're good. It was Jim Carrey who once said, you know, that he wishes everyone could get rich and famous and see what it was like. Because when you do, you realize it's, all, it's not all it's cracked up to be. And he spoke that from the depths of depression when he was at the height of his career. And so what I want to talk about today as we get into God's word is Isaiah 53. And you can't get any more real than that. Because the gospel is the most powerful force in the universe. The gospel's ultimate reality breaking in. And as I was just disillusioned with religion, disillusioned with the pursuit of pleasure in life and just feeling like an emptiness kind of breaking in on me. And every mountaintop experience was just like plummeting right to the bottom all over again. Like, no, that's not the answer. And then God sent somebody into my life to preach the gospel with me at a low moment after I had just been in trouble again and again and again and now i'm in the marine corps restricted in my barracks and god sends somebody to share the gospel with me it's like you've been running from god you've been running from god in your sin you've been turning away from him you were made for him and jesus loves you and he died on the cross to save you and you got to turn away from that life And put your trust in him. And then reality breaks in. The forgiveness of God. The relationship you long for that you were made for. Breaks in. So I knelt down that night and just wept my heart out before God. And said, this is real. Lord, please forgive me. Come into my life. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. Come into my life. And it was just like a hundred gallons of liquid love poured over me. And that was it. I was like, this is real. This is real. Everything else 
has just been a chasing after the wind. But Jesus is eternal joy, peace, satisfaction, forgiveness, and being restored to what you were made for. So let's come before the Lord. And I want to pray as we get into Isaiah 53 and just hear from God's word about this reality, about who Jesus is and what he's done. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we recognize, Lord, there's just such a great need for an inbreaking of your spirit today. There's just so much emptiness. Lord, there's so, there's so much lack of peace in the world. There's so much depression, so much discouragement, so much anxiety. We're medicated up to our ears. And we've got so many people telling us what's right and true. And deep down, it rings so hollow to us. Because we need you, Lord. Because we need your spirit to open our eyes. When we, when we were once lost, you brought us near by the word of Christ. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Lord, that you would produce faith in some hearts today. I pray that you would encourage Believers in here who love Jesus, but they just feel like they need a fresh work of God. They need an inbreaking of your spirit. They need to be renewed. They, they need the fires of the gospel to light again. We don't want to live out a hollow religion. We want to live out New Testament Christianity. We want to exalt Jesus. We, we want to live in a way, Lord, that there's no other explanation for our life than that Jesus exists, that he's Lord, creator of the universe, and that he loves us and went to the cross to rescue us. And he didn't, he didn't stay in the grave, but three days later he rose up. There's nobody else in the history of the world that's done that. And so, Father, I just thank you. And I pray, open our hearts now to receive what you have to say to us in your word that we might get help and encouragement. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when Jesus came on the scene in the Gospels, he, he blew up everybody's expectations. Everybody was expecting the King of Israel, the Messiah, to come and to be this regal king who would overthrow the oppression of the Romans. And you got to imagine living, it would be like America, right? Being controlled and governed by some foreign country and you're not free to do anything you want. You're under the oppression of another foreign government, right? Controlled. Liberties taken and stripped. And so people were just hungry like, like somebody come and deal with these Romans, these pagan Romans that they wanted overthrow. And that's what they thought Jesus was coming to do. They thought he was coming to overthrow the Romans and rescue the Jews. Nobody thought that the Messiah was going to come and die. No, nobody thought that Jesus was going to come as a suffering servant, humble, born in a manger, born of a couple of peasants, right? Or at least from Mary's side. And God would put in the womb of Mary, Jesus, fully God, fully man, born to save. And he is that king. And he does have that authority. And he could overthrow the Romans like that. 
but he came on a mission to rescue sinners. And the Bible says he came to seek and save that which is lost. And so the Jews had long forgotten that long ago, 700 years before the time of Jesus, there was this prophecy tucked into the core of the, the Old Testament. Like it's been said that it's the holy of holies of the Old Testament. If you're going to go somewhere in the Old Testament and you want to read and you want to see who Jesus is, Isaiah 53 is like this beautiful picture of the gospel 700 years in advance, and it mentions crucifixion hundreds of years before it was even invented as a tool of execution. And it says that Jesus would die, not for his sins, but for the sins of the people. That he would be crushed for our iniquities. That he, he would be wounded so that we might be healed. And that he might be pierced for our transgressions. And all through the New Testament, the apostles pick this up in their preaching. And they pick this up and they point to it. It's the most quoted chapter in the New Testament. From the Old Testament. So it's a big deal. And as we lay hold of it now, I just want you to read it and, and drink it in. And I want to tell you a story about how powerful this passage is. Okay? Isaiah 53 in verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. And listen to this verse. It's the gospel in miniature. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like sheep before that before its shears are silent, he opened not his mouth. And by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off, that means he was killed out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet, and this must be one of the greatest verses in the Bible, because this is God's heart for you. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus, right? It was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. That's how we get saved. Jesus has to rescue us. 
and he shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, and out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant. Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now that passage unfolds two glorious realities. One of them's bad news and one of them's good news. The bad news is we've all turned away. We've all went our own way. And there's justice coming for that. But the good news is the same God who's going to bring justice on all wickedness and evil in this world and on our wickedness and evil, that same God in love sent Jesus on a divine rescue mission to go to the cross to bear the wrath you and I deserve. That's what we were singing about. The Father's wrath has been satisfied by Jesus on a cross. It's all over this passage. And the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Verse 6. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. Verse 12. Yet He bore the sin of many and He makes intercession for the transgressors. That's God's heart for you in sending Jesus and nothing truly real will go on in your soul in terms of a relationship with God until you come to grips with who Jesus is and just how messed up we are. I remember it wasn't long ago, well, 20 years ago now, but it doesn't feel like it was too long ago. I was at a party. I was a brand new Christian. I mean, I knew the gospel, but that was about it. And uh, there was this girl who had organized this party, and she invited, invited a bunch of Christians. And then she invited a bunch of non-believers, had this big, huge party. That's a good idea, by the way. I would encourage that. Invite people over to your house. But anyhow, she, she brought this whole group of people together. And then she comes up to me. She's like, Peter, you're, you're Jewish, right? And she's like, well, good news. <laughs> I brought a friend over, and he's a Jewish man. Why don't you share the gospel with him? And I was like, <laughs> I, was like okay. I was like, okay, but I don't know him. And, and <laughs> but she's like, no, it's, it's fine. Just go share with him. And so I'm just thinking to myself, I'm having this internal dialogue. Like, do I talk to him? You know? And I found out he was, a, he was studying to be a doctor. He's an Orthodox Jew. And most of the time, Jews don't like Jesus, right? They're, they're, they're not. It's like, you know, the Pharisees in the New Testament. Ugh, I don't want this Jesus stuff. But anyhow, I kind of walked over towards him, and he's just kind of like looking sheepishly. He feels a little out of place. He doesn't know anybody in the home. And I'm like, Lord, if you, if you want me to share with him, just bring him over. And he literally, he kind of just looked like he didn't know where he was. 
all of a sudden he turns, smiles at me, and walks over in my direction. And I'm like, okay, I've got it. All right, all right, Lord, I'll, I'm going to share with him. And so I just started talking to him. I'm like, hey, I'm, I, I understand you're Jewish. Um, I have Jewish heritage too. And we just got to talking. And all of a sudden, you know, we're in this friendly dialogue. And I asked him, I said, are you familiar with the prophet Isaiah? Because this is the, the Old Testament is the Jewish scriptures, right? And he's like, yes. I was like, have you ever read Isaiah 53? This chapter's awesome. I was like, this is a messianic chapter, and most rabbinic scholars before the time of Jesus saw it as a messianic text. But they totally overlook it today. And I said, let's read it. And we read the whole chapter, and I looked at him and I said, who's this chapter talking about? Who in history fits the bill? Who died for the sins of his people? What Jewish man died for the sins of his people? What person was crucified and pierced for the transgressions of his people? And I, I, I just asked him point blank, like, who does he think that, that, that passage is talking about? And he's like, Jesus. And lo and behold, while I'm talking to him, the whole, all the Christians in the other room, they were worshiping the Lord and like playing songs and singing hymns and stuff. And all of a sudden they're just like praying because they know I'm talking to him. And like I see this dude like like really getting gripped by this passage. And he realizes like, how did God know that in advance? 700 years before it happened, it's in the Bible. And it's speaking about exactly what Jesus would do in such intimate terms. It even says that he would be buried uh, among the rich and he would die for the sins of his people. And he'd be like a lamb led to the slaughter. And that's like Jesus all over the place, right? He's buried in a rich man's tomb. It even speaks of Jesus going on in exaltation in the final verse. So, you know, Jesus is, is rising up out of the grave. Death can't hold this Messiah. And so anyhow, Oren was this guy's name, sees this text, and he's just like, this is real. And I'm like, you bet it's real. <laughs> like, Jesus actually is your Messiah. And I said, what stop you from, from putting your trust in him today? And he was like, nothing. And I just remember him giving his heart to the Lord right there. And I bring him into the next room and I'm like, Hey y'all, I want you to meet your new brother in Christ. Oren. He was an Orthodox Jew, read Isaiah 53, had his eyes opened and God began to speak to his heart. And what was it he was seeing in this passage? What was it he was seeing here, but hope. And some of y'all come in here today and you have no hope. And you, you do feel defiled. You, you feel separated. You feel unclean. You feel like, like me and God were not connected because I'm living in darkness. And I'm not living for the Lord. And I, I feel like everything I've chased after is just left me empty and it's not real. And I want something real. Oren found... In this passage, just two simple truths that day. We're great sinners. And Jesus is even, he's an even greater savior. 
we are great sinners. But Jesus is a greater Savior. And you can't out his grace. Amen. And that's who he is. And it's right there, right, in verse 6. If you were to have it in one little nutshell of a verse, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So let's look at that first one. We're great sinners. Well, most of us don't need to be convinced that we're great sinners. Like from very young age, nobody had to teach you how to lie. Nobody had to teach you how to steal. Nobody had to teach you how to um, get jealous. It's not like your parents were like, okay, I, I want to give you some instruction today on how to get jealous, okay? Jealousy 101, let's talk about that for a little bit. Now, you know, you need instruction on how to steal today. Let's go through the rudiments and, and just learn how to do that. We don't do that. Why? Because why? we naturally do that. Why is that? It's because the Bible's true. It says we have broken hearts and, and, and we're bent in the wrong direction. And whether you have a Bible knowledge or not, you know deep down what's right and wrong, and you have a conscience. And every time you violate that, you're defiling your conscience that was given to you by God. And as you run into sin, you're like a sheep that's straying, the Bible says. That's what we do. We have a loving shepherd. God is a loving shepherd. He cares for us. And it's like we turn away. And we just run away. That's the picture of sin that we see here. It's a kind of rebellion that says, even though God loves me, even though he made the universe, even though everything I have from the breath in my lungs to the provision of a home, to the ability to think and reason and feel, I'm going to run. And the Bible says deep down, all of us know God exists, but we suppress that truth in unrighteousness. We don't want to see it. It's like we want to hold something over it. I don't want to look at it. And it's amazing. That's the reason I didn't want to learn about Jesus or I didn't want anybody coming to me about Jesus. I don't want to know about my sin. I already know I'm in sin. I already, I already know I'm I'm. I'm Getting high every day. I already know that I'm going to the parties on the weekend. But you know what? Jesus puts a spotlight on all of that. And deep down, before God, we all know it's wrong. Because the Bible says we all like sheep have turned astray. Every one of us. It doesn't say only half of this room. It says every one of us. Sometimes believers need to remember this truth. Right? You, you, you came to Jesus because you're a sinner needing a savior. I remember I was sharing the gospel a couple years back and I, I went into this area and I saw a homeless man and I started sharing Jesus with him. And he's like, listen, he's like, you don't got to talk to me about that. I'm just a nobody talking about a somebody who can save everybody. And I was like, all right, because <laughs> he got it. That's all of us. Everybody starts out bent in the wrong direction 
And only Jesus can put that right. In fact, the New Testament picks that up with a vengeance and says that's the very thing that Jesus came to do. 1 John 3.8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That's his plan, rebellion against God. But the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's reality, right, in our face. The devil, the Bible says, is the one who incites rebellion against God and turns people away from God. And that's what happened before you were a Christian. And if you're not a Christian in here, you were living to the march and the beat of the world. You just didn't know it. You were just living and doing things. What the world says is true and right, you, won't, you go along with. It doesn't matter. Nazi Germany, right? It was the right thing in Nazi Germany, according to that culture, to exterminate Jews. So you could march to the beat of the world and it'll lead you straight to hell. Culture doesn't define morality. God does. God defines what's right and wrong. And deep down we know it's not right to exterminate Jews because they're made in the image of God. And the Lord said, you shall not murder. And deep down we all know it. But the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He's the author of sin. He's the author of rebellion. And Jesus is reminding us about this whole reality of sin and he says in the new testament in the gospel of john truly truly i say to you everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin and slaves aren't free have you ever become addicted to something and you just couldn't stop it's because sin brings slavery into your life I've still got friends who abuse drugs and alcohol and they can't stop. They are a slave to it. And the Bible says all sin enslaves us and brings us under its dominion and bondage and we cannot break free. Whether it's drug abuse and drunkenness, whether it's sexual promiscuity and adultery, we're marching to the beat of a drummer and his name is Satan and he loves to put people in bondage but Isaiah 53 is about how you get break, broken free it's how you get set free if the son sets you free if Jesus sets you free you're free indeed so maybe you're in here today and you're in bondage on some level Maybe even as a believer, you've become enslaved. You've kind of went back to some of the things you know you shouldn't be doing. And Jesus has a word from you from this passage. Because we know we're all great sinners. But one thing we forget is that we have a greater Savior. We've got a greater Savior. That's why we sing about him. You don't sing about something you don't love and enjoy. Right? Isn't it interesting that all the songs in the world that glorify drunkenness and drugs and sexual immorality, right? People sing about it because that's what they love. 
But we sing about Jesus because he's so much better than all of that. We have a greater Savior. Look at it right there in verse 6, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 4 says how he did it or what he did. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. Jesus has to go to a cross to purchase freedom for you and I. To bear the judgment you and I deserve. How does a holy, just, good God forgive rebellious, wicked people? We need somebody to make the payment for us. And that's who Jesus is. That's the great Savior He is. He actually steps in to our shoes on the cross and He hangs on a tree. And he takes the full brunt of God's justice that you and I deserve on himself. He bears our griefs, our sorrows, our pains, our struggles, our addictions, our hatred, our bitterness, our lying, our gossip, our wrath, our divisiveness, our cold-heartedness. Jesus takes it all on himself, though he was totally innocent. He was like a lamb just led to the slaughter. And he didn't do it grudgingly. He wasn't like, he wasn't like oh, I don't want to go. It was for the joy that was set before him. That he endured the cross, despising the shame. Because he loves you. He loves you. And there's no other way to experience the reality of God coming into your life, renewing your heart, freeing you from bondage, opening your eyes to what is truly real in this world, and making you right with Him. We all, by nature, run away. But what Jesus did on the cross begins to draw us like a magnet back to God. If we will look to him. But the reality that verse 1 of chapter 53 lays bare to us is who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I heard the gospel hundreds of times growing up. And I thought it was foolishness. Until one day God turned the light on. One day I was listening. One day I was so beat down by the way I was living. I was like, I just don't want this anymore. And somebody started speaking to me and it was like, this is actually like more. This is, this, this is like actually what I'm needing. And th this person knows my heart. This person knows what's going on in my soul. And I, like, I don't know how that's happening. But Jesus was doing something in my heart, exposing my need for God, showing me that I need a suffering Savior to come die for me. And that if I will but believe in Him, believe this news, and turn away from the former life, 
I can be forgiven and made new. That's all over the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, Jesus, or for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God can take your unrighteousness, put it on Jesus who is righteous, and Jesus could pay for it all on the cross. Pay the penalty for your sin, which is death. And then conquer death by rising up out of the grave so that you can get the righteousness and the, clean, the, the, the cleansing of God for your sins. You're never going to be free of a dirty heart and a bad record unless Jesus gives you his righteousness. And the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, that whoever believes on him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. So though we're sinners, we have a great savior. And Jesus actually came on a divine rescue mission for you. You say, well, I don't qualify. Like, I'm, I'm a mess. I'm too far gone. I'm, I'm out of his reach. There's nobody beyond God's reach. There's nobody. Verse 6 says, every one of us was included in the rebellion and turning away from God. And every one of us, it says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That means you, if you'll believe. It's a scary thing to come exposed before God in all of your junk, in all of your mess, and be real about your sin and actually say, God, I need you. And then he begins to work in your heart and do surgery in your soul and renew you because of what Jesus did. We so long for something real and we are so afraid when it comes time to get real before God because we're afraid if he knows this about us, he'll turn us away. But Jesus will never, ever turn away anybody who draws near to him. In the New Testament, there was a, a man who was filled with demons. And he was in a graveyard. And he was cutting himself just to get relief cutting himself up. People had bound him with chains. And he would bust free and just roam around just living in complete bondage. And everybody in the town thought, this guy's too far gone. We just got to keep him away. We got to kind of manage this thing and just keep him away from us. And Jesus comes into the graveyard and the man falls on his face before Jesus. And the man everybody thought was too far gone. You can't deal with my heart. I'm bound up by Satan and sin and nobody can rescue me. But before Jesus, this man falls on his knees and Jesus begins to speak and cast out these demons. And this man is brought into freedom 
from his slavery to sin and his bondage to the evil one. And God renews him. He's in his right mind. Everybody in the village is seeing it. And they're like, what is going on? And this man wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus was like, no, no, no. Go back to town and tell people the great things that the Lord has done for you. I feel like that's the story of my life. God just went wham and, and, and opened my eyes and showed me my sin and brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I'm like, like Jesus is real and he saves and he could save you. And I just want to tell this message for the rest of my life because there's no greater power in the world than the power of the gospel to change a life and redeem people no matter how hopeless they are. We got great news because we got a great savior and he can deal with our darkness and he can deal with the real you. And maybe you just come in today and you're like, nobody can deal. Jesus can. Because it was the will of the Lord to crush him for you on a cross. You think, how horrible. But it was God's love towards you that did it. So many of you just, we fail to be in touch with God's great love for us because we fail to look to Jesus on a cross hanging there for our sins. And we've got this sanitized thing where it's like, yeah, Jesus is going to save all of them out there and all the messed up people, but, 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 but we're kind of clean in here. And no, we're dirty. We're filthy. We're exposed before the naked eye of God. But we got a great Savior who can deal with the real you. And even if you've lost sight of Jesus in here, he'll bring you back. You've been straying, he'll bring you back. You've been running, he'll bring you back. You've been broken, he'll put you back together. That's who Jesus is. So this glorious news that we're seeing is the news of a Savior who came to break the bondage in your life. To sin, addiction, and all the ugliness inside of you. Jesus is big enough to handle it. He's big enough to deal with it. Let me close this way. Adam and Eve in the garden. As they sinned and rebelled against God. Their first instinct when they disobeyed God, was to run and hide and cover themselves up. And they started to hide behind trees. And God came into the garden, and they were hiding behind trees. And I just imagine them kind of peering out, and they hear the voice of the Lord, and they're like, uh, we're in trouble. But I, don't, I just can't come out. From, the trees are hiding me. The trees are hiding me. I'm going to stay. It's safe here. I don't want to come out before God and just show it all. I'll be exposed. But listen to me. Look at me for a second. You know what God did for you so that you could come out from behind the tree? He sent his son to another tree to die for you. 
He sent his son to another tree so you could step out from behind the trees of hypocrisy and falseness and all that is, is just a running and hiding. And you could just really be the real you coming to God out in the open. And he says, I want you to look away from all of that. And I want you to look to my son, Jesus. And trust me, he can save you and 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 he can save you. Trust me. That's the greatest verse in the Bible for God so loved the world for God so loved you. That he gave his only son. That what? That whoever believes. That's everybody. Whoever believes. But you got to step out from behind the tree. And look to Jesus. And believe that he can rescue you. Because only a great savior can deal with the real you. And all your brokenness. Let's pray. Father. We are so in need of the rescue that only Jesus can provide. And I pray that your spirit would move on this time, Lord, as we're here, as we're considering what a great savior we have in Jesus. This isn't just words. This isn't just pie in the sky by and by. This isn't just uh, something that sounds nice. This is reality breaking in. And I pray, Father, that you would move on hearts. And Lord, that anybody here who just needs to get their heart right with you, they need to step out from behind the trees and look to Jesus. Just pray that you'd be working in their heart, drawing them right now, Lord, that they'd, they'd be known that this is me. This is for me. This isn't for the person next to me. This is for me. And I pray, Lord, that you would begin to move in a way that's supernatural, that's not explainable, that you'd be drawing them to yourself right now. Just saying, I love you. I've been looking at you and I care about you. And it doesn't matter what you've done or how far gone you are. That's why I sent Jesus to rescue. If you'll step out from behind the trees and trust me, maybe that's you today. Maybe you've backslidden, maybe you've gotten away from Jesus. It's, that's you. If that's your heart, I just want to ask you to raise your hand in the air. And I'd like to pray for you. If you feel like. I need God to deal with my heart. Just raise, raise your hand up in the air. I'd love to pray for you. If that's you. And you know, because the Spirit's been talking to you this whole message. God's been moving on your heart. And the Lord's calling you out from behind the trees. To look to a great Savior. Maybe you've just been backsliding and you feel just like I just can't stand before God now, the Lord loves you too and if that's where you're at I just want to ask you to just raise your hand in the air high so I can see it and I'd love to pray for you Father God I just pray for our hearts right now Lord as we're considering this message from Isaiah 53 Lord it's it's a message about your divine rescue and your intervention in our hearts 
And I just pray, Father, where there's brokenness inside of us and where we've been on the run from you, Lord, that we would have the courage to be finally real before you and turn away from that former life or turn away from our backsliding and just run towards you in faith. And I pray, Father, that as we sing this next song, that you would minister to our hearts and draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.